Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from one of our pastors. We pray this message speaks to you. Before we get into the context this morning, I want to give all of our history buffs and those who, you, who might want to draw more from who was Mark, who was the author of this book. Well, Mark was a youngster, and he was part of the early church, and he served in ministry with Paul, Barnabas, Luke, Timothy, and Peter. You know, there's only 10 verses saying Mark's name in the Bible, but he is the most noted of the four gospel authors, putting him as the first writer. He was often called John or even John Mark. John is his Jewish name and Mark his Roman name. Now his mom hosted the early church in her home. I mean, what a great experience he must have had as a young man. They're thinking he was just young like 13, 14, when he began to see how the early church had ministered in their home, especially the night in Acts 12, when Peter was in prison and they were gathered in a home. They believe that was Mark's mother's home and that Peter showed up at their front door just as they prayed. And they were surprised, right? How many times do we pray and pray and pray for something and then we're actually surprised when God comes through and we're like, wow. Um, They also, scholars also um, have studied that Mark's mother's home may have been the place of the Last Supper. That's a rich home to grow in. Um, Mark's father is not mentioned, so we believe that Mark's mother was a widow and she was a woman of wealth because her home would have to have been large enough to house these groups of people of the early church. Scholars also argue that it may have been Mark himself, the young boy who was captured the night of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane and then escaped, as noted in his own book, Mark 14. Mark knew about restoration And it's all through his writings how Christ came to restore. He deserted Paul and Barnabas at Perga in one of the early missionary journeys, but then he teamed up with his cousin Barnabas to continue the missionary journeys. After these journeys, it was none other than Peter, who knew all about restoration, who brought Mark under his wings and became a spiritual father to him. He doesn't identify himself as the writer of Mark, though early manuscripts say, according to Mark. All right, for my big history buffs, Mark targets the Gentiles in Rome. We believe Mark grew up in Rome and he was targeting the Gentiles who didn't have the understanding of the Jewish context. So Aramaic terms are translated. He explains Jewish customs. He uses the Roman time system. There's no record of Jesus's genealogy, but Mark's book is a, mark of, uh, is a book of miracles and actions. He gets straight to the ministry of Jesus. It was written somewhere between 50 and 70 AD. And as I said, it was believed that he is the first writer of the gospels. When I read through the chapter this week, I saw something threaded all the way through. There's a lot of family connections. And perhaps family connections was mentioned because it was close to Mark's heart his mother's home, his cousin Barnabas. Maybe that wasn't his intention at all, but that's what I saw today. And I am gonna title this message, Family Fuel. Not Family Feud, (laughs) Family Fuel, because each one of these um, family connections and family relationships fueled 
the ministry of Christ. And that is our job too. Let's look at the very first sentence. Grab your Bible or your phone and let's go to Mark chapter one, verse one. Mark one, one. This verse states, the beginning of the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, that certainly sets the stage, doesn't it? For the reader. Oh, the good news has come? Well, who? The Son of God. The most beautiful picture between father and son, parent and child, starts out the very sentence of this writing. It's later revisited in verse 11. So jump down to verse 11. This is at Jesus' baptism. And it reads, And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now I would venture to say that most children, even adult children, would rather have praise and encouragement from their parent than the opposite. Agree? You are well loved. I am pleased with you, the Lord will say. I am proud of you. God is the perfect loving father. You know, these verses also give substance to Jesus's position and his authority. As God's son, he was the Messiah, that long-awaited savior. And it promised restoration, peace, and that the kingdom had drawn near. Because the heavens were opened and it allowed God to pour out the spirit. It says the spirit descended. From this first family fuel, Take notes from God and recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the next family connection noted is between the cool cousins, Jesus and John the Baptist. Now, how many of you are thinking of your favorite cousin right now? Cousins are your first built-in friends for life. They are the best of both worlds because they are family and friends, and no one will understand your crazy family like your cousin can. I love these two sayings. God made us cousins because he knew mother could not handle us as siblings. How many of you have gotten into trouble with the cousin a time or two? Yep. I love this one. Cousins are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Listen, I am one of 22 first cousins on my father's side of the family. And when we are all together, it's like an Italian circus. I'm not joking. My kids can vouch for it, right? And they are a generation of close to 35, I believe, great-grandchildren in our family. But there's a bond that forms when your children and sticks, no matter how old you get or how little you see one another. There's something about a cousin and the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus, it warms my heart, but it makes me laugh. So let's take a look here. As babies still in the womb, when Mary held Jesus and Elizabeth, her cousin, held John the Baptist, Mary went to go visit Elizabeth to share the news. And what happened to John in the belly of Elizabeth? He leapt for joy because the Savior had drawn near I pray we have the same um, sensitivity as when God is drawing near. We sense it and we leap for joy, just like John. We respond in that way. I wonder if these boys like to swim. Jesus, the living water, John the Baptist. You know, what other things did they like to do? 
As they grew, they both were taught in the temple, especially because of John's father being in the, in the temple there. But I wonder if Jesus aced every exam and it upset John because of his divine sonship. He already knew the word. He is the word. And I can imagine John getting himself into a little bit of trouble. Hey, don't mess with me, right? And Jesus kind of leading him away. Come on, John, love your enemies. Come on. And John yelling back, yeah, you don't know what this Jesus is about, but I'm going to tell you about it. But let us be like John to announce the king has come. You know, as men, John could have been viewed as the crazy cousin, the black sheep of the family, the wild one. I mean, let's think about it. He's running through the wilderness in like Woodstock wardrobe, (laughs) camel hair underwear, long hair, and he eats bugs. I mean, do you want him coming to your Christmas dinner? Probably not. I feel like he called people to repentance or scared them to repentance just by his looks. All kidding aside, recall that John the Baptist was in the wilderness near the Jordan River. This is the same wilderness that God's people walked in exodus from Egypt. This is the same Jordan River that was crossed to bring freedom and a pathway to the promised land. It will now bring freedom to those who are baptized there. John ate honey. We know that the land was chocked full of milk and honey. And he ate bugs. You know, as I did some research on this, people still eat bugs today that are in poor um, levels of income in the world today. They take the legs off, salt them, and roast them. Crunch, crunch. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. But at the scene of Jesus' baptism, John, though he was family, he's aware of his position in comparison to Jesus. His cousin was his savior. That that just gives me chills. What a special relationship they had. Let's look at verse seven. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John knew his place of employment for the kingdom. Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3, 1 were his employee handbook. It reads in verses 2 and 3 in chapter 1, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John called to who all would hear, And they came to the wilderness to listen outside of the city where it was safe. The Jordan River is where many believers were baptized, which was served as a Jewish reference point of ceremonial ritual of immersion and cleansing and new life. Let's be like John and make way for Jesus. The next group of family members are the brothers, the first disciples. And I think that it's just fascinating how Jesus brings sets of brothers first to the team. It reminds me of the verse that two are better than one. In our home, I've coined a saying, family sticks together. Now, Isabella might not want to go to the 400th sporting event of the year, and the boys might not want to sit through hours of her music, but 
We've, we've adopted that where you are, I'll be there. And families, these brothers were already in that mode of sticking together. They were helping with their family fishing business. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. This passage reads, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Down in verse 20, speaks of James and John's response. It says, without delay, he called them and they left their father. These brothers didn't just follow Jesus. They worked hard to fuel his ministry forward. In Mark chapter three, verse 17, James and John have a nickname given by Jesus. They are called the sons of thunder. I wanna be called a daughter of thunder. It was their fiery zeal, their fervent manner of preaching, and the power of their words that gave them this nickname. Let's be like the brothers and be propelled by him. Now, one of the last things that I noticed in Mark chapter one was Peter caring for his mother-in-law. There's a country song, and it's called Family is Still Family. Country songs are kind of funny for me, but... I want you to listen to the lyrics of this chorus. Family is family, in church or in prison. (laughs) You get what you get and you don't get to pick them. They might smoke like chimneys, but they'll give you their kidneys. Yeah, friends come in handy, but family is family. Amen to that? Amen. (laughs) In verses, oh my. I know, we're all thinking of those few in our family, like, oh Lord. (laughs) It's like when you really don't want to go to that family event, but you go and you show up and it's great, right? You got to like, you kind of shuffle your feet to go. In verses 30 and 31, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is, in sick, is sick in bed with a fever. But Peter tells Jesus about it. And it's not in this way. Oh, my mother-in-law, you know, she's sick again. Uh, she always has something wrong. Let me tell you what's wrong with her. I can tell you, Jesus. You got a few minutes. He didn't take that vantage point, but he brought the Savior, the very best remedy to her. Let's look at verse 30 and 31. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. Isn't that amazing? Immediately. You know, she didn't take a nap, go, oh, okay, I feel a little better. Maybe I'll just lie down for a little longer. But she got up and she was the hostess with the mostess. She served Jesus. In that moment, he became more than just her healer right? He was her savior. He was her redeemer. Just a touch from his hand. And that power went right through her and she got up and began the family fuel for his ministry. However, being around family, sometimes we need a break. And everybody said, amen. (laughs) I know when my kids get a little cantankerous or we're getting a little edgy, I just say, okay, just take a break. Like just 
Go make some space, right? Well, Jesus does this. He exemplifies what the best family member does when they need a break. And we look at this in verses 35 through 39. You know, in order to do what he did, he knew rest was needed. We need rest to be refueled again, to go out and do the work of the Lord. It was created in the beginning, and it was quiet. In the quiet is when we can hear the voice of God more clearly, and the noise of the house, and the noise of the, the family doesn't drown it out. So he went and he prayed, and they came to find him. Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? And he responds to them in verse 38, we need to keep moving. This is why I'm here. I'm here to preach and to deliver and to heal and to love and to save. He took a break, and sometimes we need that too. His rest brought a refuel. Today, as we looked at the relationships and the family connections in chapter one, let us be reminded. Take notes from God the Father and in front of others, recognize him. Be like his cousin John, make a way for him. Be like the sons of thunder, propelled by him. Be like the mother-in-law, healed by him and then serve him. And be like Jesus, rest and refuel. I want to turn our attention to our mission statement. Will you read it with me? Our mission is to produce a family of believers being transformed by Jesus, empowered to live supernaturally while advancing the kingdom everywhere we go a unified family of believers. God is looking for unity in us so he can pour out his spirit upon us to do his work. I'm always reminded when I think of unity, um, when I was a young girl, Pastor Volp preached on Noah. And when he sent out the raven, the raven will eat anything. The waters hadn't completely receded And that raven, you know, never came back. It found what it needed. But not the dove, which is a representation of the Holy Spirit. When the dove went out, it had to find something of growth. There had to be unity and peace on the land in order for them to rest on Mount Ararat and then to give their sacrifice and praise. I want Central to be a place where the Holy Spirit comes and hovers and says, yes. There's unity and peace here. And in that unity, I will pour out my spirit among them. Amen. Are we sharing the good news with others? Let's look back to Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Are we each doing our part to tell others what we know? Someone told you. I'm thankful for my parents who introduced me to Jesus. Who told you and who can you tell, even just this week? I love that Jesus shows us there's always room for one more at the table. There's always one more chair at the table, enlarging the family line. I mean, he broke bread with his disciples, and then someday after he returns, we will break bread with him. Can you imagine what the table will be like in heaven? Who wants to set the table? 
There's people in your life that you're responsible for so that they have a place at the table. You know, this week at one of the nights um, of prayer and fasting during the prayer um, nights, we had people come to the altar to stand in proxy for two people that would get saved this year and come to Central to be discipled and then again sent out to bring more to the Lord, not just here to this building, but to the Lord. And it was stated later in the week that after in prayer, a particular person felt like it wasn't just two people, but for every one of us, seven would be saved. And that goes along with prophetic words that this house will have to expand. We will need to go to two services. You know what the parking lot looks like when you get out there. Space is limited, but never limited enough for more people to know the Lord. We have a beautiful family. And as to close today, I'd like us to stand. Four years ago this week, Kurt was installed as the senior pastor. And around that same time, he did something that unified us as a body. And I really felt began the fuel for where we are here today. I want us to take the hand of the person next to you. And I want you to extend yourself into the aisles, leaving no gaps between you. You might not even know the person on your side, but I pray that you will know them. Let's just keep moving. We are better together. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, but we are better together. What I can do with one of you is far greater than what I could do by myself. We need each other. And there is a community out there who needs us. Because if we don't say what the good news is to them, if we don't bring it, will they hear? I recently read a testimony of someone who didn't get saved until their 20s. And they had heard the name Jesus. They knew nothing about him. Nothing. How rich we are. How rich we are to know him. The good news. Not the world's news, the good news. You are a beautiful family. I am proud to be a part of you. And I'm excited to see what God's gonna do. I just wanna take a few minutes today as we close and just pray for the lost. And this family will be fueled to go out to win them. So if you have a prayer language, pray, pray it out. And if you don't, just ask them, it's a gift. Just ask them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, help us to take the good news. Fueled by you, Father. Fueled by you. Jesus, it's because of you. It's only because of you. Jesus, fill this place. Let unbelievers come. Let them come to know you. Yet, 
Jesus. I just pray that the Lord gives you a face right now who you need to speak to just even this week. Maybe call them this afternoon. The good news, we can't hold it to ourselves. Thank you, God. Forgive us, Father, when we think we've got it all figured out or we're relying on someone else to be the mouthpiece of heaven to tell others about Jesus. Forgive us. Forgive us. Convict our hearts to do more for you. Let us lose complacency, Father, in this area. Jesus, burden our hearts for the lost, Father. I thank you for this unified family of believers. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out upon us. Give us the boldness to be your witness. Father, do the more in hearts this moment. Give us eyes to see what you see. Let our heart burn within us, Father, for the lost. Not only to see them saved, but to disciple them and then become iron to sharpen iron as we help each other grow in you, to spur one another on in the faith. Holy Spirit, fuel us, fuel us, refuel us, fill us up to witness to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Move mightily among us and through us, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. Thank you for using us. We can't do anything without you, Father. In your precious name, amen. Amen. I pray that you have a beautiful day today. I pray that the Lord opens divine appointments to you. And read Mark chapter... Good job. God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.